Part One, Chapter Five of Tolstoy on Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Guero. Tolstoy on Shakespeare: A Critical Essay on Shakespeare by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Vladimir Chertkov and Isabella Fivey Mayo. Part One, Chapter Five. Quote, well, but the profound utterances and sayings expressed by Shakespeare's characters, Shakespeare's panegyrists will retort. See Lear's monologue on punishment, Kent's speech about vengeance, or Edgar's about his former life, Gloucester's reflections on the instability of fortune, and in other dramas the famous monologues of Hamlet, Antony, and others. End quote. Thoughts and sayings may be appreciated, I will answer, in a prose work, in an essay, a collection of aphorisms, but not in an artistic dramatic production, the object of which is to elicit sympathy with that which is represented. Therefore the monologues and sayings of Shakespeare, even did they contain very many deep and new thoughts, which they do not, do not constitute the merits of an artistic poetic production. On the contrary, these speeches, expressed in unnatural conditions, can only spoil artistic works. An artistic poetic work, particularly a drama, must first of all excite in the reader or spectator the illusion that whatever the person represented is living through, or experiencing, is lived through or experienced by himself. For this purpose, it is as important for the dramatist to know precisely what he should make his characters both do and say, as what he should not make them say and do, so as not to destroy the illusion of the reader or spectator. Speeches, however eloquent and profound they may be, when put into the mouth of dramatic characters, if they be superfluous or unnatural to the position and character, destroy the chief condition of dramatic art, the illusion, owing to which the reader or spectator lives in the feelings of the person represented. Without putting an end to the illusion, one may leave much unsaid. The reader or spectator will himself fill this up, and sometimes, owing to this, his illusion is even increased. But to say what is superfluous is the same as to overthrow a statue composed of separate pieces and thereby scatter them, or to take away the lamp from a magic lantern. The attention of the reader or spectator is distracted. The reader sees the author the spectator sees the actor, the illusion disappears, and to restore it is sometimes impossible. Therefore, without the feeling of measure, there cannot be an artist, and especially a dramatist. Shakespeare is devoid of this feeling. His characters continually do and say what is not only unnatural to them, but utterly unnecessary. I do not cite examples of this, because I believe that he who does not himself see the striking deficiency in all Shakespeare's dramas will not be persuaded by any examples and proofs. It is sufficient to read King Lear alone, with its insanity, murders, plucking out of eyes, Gloucester's jump, its poisonings and wranglings, not to mention Pericles, Cymbeline, the Winter's Tale, the Tempest, to be convinced of this. Only a man devoid of the sense of measure and of taste could produce such types as Titus Andronicus, or Troilus and Cressida, or so mercilessly mutilate the old drama, King Lear. 
Gervinus endeavors to prove that Shakespeare possessed the feeling of beauty, Schoenheit's sin, but all Gervinus's proofs prove only that he himself, Gervinus, is completely destitute of it. In Shakespeare, everything is exaggerated. The actions are exaggerated, so are their consequences. The speeches of the characters are exaggerated, and therefore at every step the possibility of artistic impression is interfered with. Whatever people may say, however they may be enraptured by Shakespeare's works, whatever merits they may attribute to them, it is perfectly certain that he was not an artist, and that his works are not artistic productions. Without the sense of measure, there never was, nor can be, an artist, as without the feeling of rhythm there cannot be a musician. Shakespeare might have been whatever you like, but he was not an artist. Quote, but one should not forget the time at which Shakespeare wrote, says his admirers. It was a time of cruel and coarse habits, a time of the then fashionable euphemism, that is, artificial way of expressing oneself, a time of forms of life strange to us, and therefore, to judge about Shakespeare, one should have in view the time when he wrote. In Homer, as in Shakespeare, there is much which is strange to us, but this does not prevent us from appreciating the beauties of Homer, end quote, say these admirers. But in comparing Shakespeare with Homer, as does Gervinus, that infinite distance which separates the true poetry from its semblance manifests itself with a special force. However distant Homer is from us, we can, without the slightest effort, transport ourselves into the life he describes, and we can thus transport ourselves because, however alien to us may be the events Homer describes, he believes in what he says, and speaks seriously, and therefore he never exaggerates, and the sense of measure never abandons him. This is the reason why, not to speak of the wonderfully distinct, lifelike and beautiful characters of Achilles, Hector, Priam, Odysseus, and the eternally touching scenes of Hector's leave-taking, of Priam's embassy, of Odysseus's return, and others, the whole of the Iliad, and still more the Odyssey, are so humanly near to us, that we feel as if we ourselves had lived, and are living, among its gods and heroes. Not so with Shakespeare. From his first words exaggeration is seen, the exaggeration of events, the exaggeration of emotion, and the exaggeration of effects. One sees at once that he does not believe in what he says, that is of no necessity to him, that he invents the events he describes, and is indifferent to his characters, that he has conceived them only for the stage, and therefore makes them do and say only what may strike his public and therefore we do not believe either in the events, or in the actions, or in the sufferings of the characters. Nothing demonstrates so clearly the complete absence of aesthetic feeling in Shakespeare as comparison between him and Homer. The works which we call the works of Homer are artistic, poetic, original works, lived through by the author or authors, whereas the works of Shakespeare borrowed as they are, and externally, like mosaics, artificially fitted together piecemeal from bits invented for the occasion, have nothing whatever in common with art and poetry. End of chapter 5. Recording by Guero.